Thanks for tuning in to the New Life South Coast podcast. We want to extend an invitation to sit in live with us during our weekend service. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message inspires you, but also challenges you in your walk with God. For more information, visit our website at newlifesouthcoast.com. Now here's Pastor Marco with an encouraging word. So we want to begin a new series this morning titled, My Mind is Playing Tricks on Me. And can we just have an honest moment in the church? Is your mind playing tricks on you? I just want to make sure I'm talking to the right people this, this morning. I don't want to talk to some people who are faking the funk. I want to talk to some real people who want some real breakthrough this morning. Can you say amen? And so we're going to go on a journey for the next six weeks. Today I'm just going to lay out the foundation of this, of this series. And so if you're serious, you can't miss a week because God keeps adding to it every single week. He's going to keep layer upon layer, precepts upon precepts. You know, that's how the Bible says we grow from glory to glory. It's got to be one block at a time, you know, one, one piece of puzzle at a time that God's going to bring a full revelation of what he wants to do with us. Can you say amen? amen. And so the, the, the goal of this series is to help us to think better. Because when we think better, we live better, right? And, and, and if we don't take a moment to take an inventory of our minds, we don't stop to realize that a lot of the things that we're not seeing is because we haven't pinpointed what the issue is. And so we have to start, first of all, by troubleshooting our minds. We need to know what is the issue. What's the real issue? Because we know the mind's playing tricks on us, but sometimes we don't stop long enough to say, but what is it, though? What actually is the problem? And then we're going to talk about how your mind has certain patterns that has been there, built up there for a while. And so in order for you to get your breakthrough, sometimes you need to detox your mind. Your mind needs to go through a detox process in order to be able to receive everything that the Lord has for your mind. And then you have to learn how to actually feed your mind. Did you know that your mind doesn't discriminate what you feed it? It's up to you to discriminate what your mind needs to be fed. Because your mind is just just like a sponge. It absorbs whatever you put on it. But you need to make sure when you're washing dishes, you don't put anything on your sponge to wash the dishes. You make sure you you use the right soap to wash your dishes. And so if you're not using the right content to feed your mind, then your mind's not going to observe the things it needs to observe to do the things that it needs to do. So we're going somewhere, and I believe there's going to be an awesome response on the other end if we just let the Lord take his course in our lives. Can you say amen? Amen. And as you guys know, with every series, I like to recommend a book to help you go deeper because Sunday is not enough. We need to take personal ownership and go deeper with the Lord during the week. And the the book that I want to recommend for you this week, as I was doing research, this is the book that I would like to recommend for you to read along with this series. It's called Switch on Your Brain by Dr. Leaf, who is a cognitive neuroscientist who happens to be a believer. And and her passion is to show you the link between science and scripture, right? She even says this. She says she's so excited that the scientific field is finally catching up to scriptures. In other words, scripture has been revealing stuff to us all along. Now we have the science to back up the scriptures, which God's like, I've been trying to tell you guys all along. I do have the answers to all your needs. Can you say amen? So I highly recommend this book. Actually, first service, we recommended it. We sold out. So, um, but guess what? We're in the era of Amazon, baby. Just go home and listen, learn to invest in your soul. Reading is investing in the well-being of your soul. Can you say 
Amen. So that's the book that we're going to use. And uh, we're going to take our time here. As you can see, I brought a chair with me today so I don't get too excited because I, I need us to get this in our system. I need us to get this in our spirit that the Lord wants to do some things that are very deep and very personal, but we have to have a moment of inventory. We have to stop and think, what is it that's actually going through? Have you ever stopped to think about what you think about? It's so important to stop and think about what you're thinking about, right? Because the thing that you're thinking about might determine the kind of life you're living. Come on, are you with me so far? So we're going to do a little troubleshooting today. If you're taking notes, the, the goal today is to troubleshoot the mind and see what the real issue is, because if we don't get to the heart of the issue, we won't know what to fix. And worst, we'll, we'll keep putting Band-Aid on broken legs. Right. We need heart surgery, my friends. We need soul surgery. We, you, did you know this? In scriptures, the word mind and soul are used interchangeably. It's saying that your mind and your soul is basically the same thing. Right? And so, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Romans chapter 7. And this is a reflection of what's really happening in our souls, in our minds, why we call this, that there is a, a, it's almost like a trickery going on that we need to pay attention to. And Romans 7 is actually a reflection of this battle that is within us and is written by a man named Paul who happens to be probably the greatest Christian who's ever lived. Like, if we were to have a category of who is the greatest of all time, because we're so obsessed with that nowadays, I would tell you this, that Paul is the Tom Brady of Christianity. <laughs> Paul is the Michael Jordan of Christianity. Paul is the Wayne Gretzky of Christianity. Paul is the Pele of Christianity. If you don't know what Pele is, Google him. <laughs> Greatest soccer player that ever lived. I'm a soccer guy. That's my thing. That's my thing first. But listen, Paul single-handedly took Christianity from this little place called Israel to the rest of the world at the time. Did you know this? Paul is the guy who wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. 13 of the 7 books of the New Testament, the man's a beast. But God trusted him with that much. But fascinating to me, this is not a young believer speaking. This is a mature believer talking about the fact that yeah, my mind also plays tricks on me. And that's good news. If the Michael Jordan of Christianity says this is real, guess what? There's hope for me and there's hope for you that we can overcome in Jesus' name. So Romans 7, here's Paul reflecting on this, beginning with verse 18. Look what he says. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Hello, somebody. Verse 20. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is a war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. But God. 
The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind. I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Can you say amen? My mind is playing tricks on me. This series and this passage kind of brought me back to high school, specifically to my English class. I used to love short stories. I don't know if you guys remember this, but there was a story of a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? The man who basically was the same person, but he had a dual nature within him. And it was this battle throughout the story of who would emerge as the person that would live. And Dr. Jekyll wanted to get rid of Mr. Hyde, and Mr. Hyde was trying to get rid of Dr. Jekyll. But at the end, you find out it's the same person. Have you ever felt that way? Can we have an honest moment in this room? Have you ever felt that you're like, there's got to be more than one of me? Come on. How many of you guys watched the video that we made and you're like, Come on. Come on. Can we have an honest moment for a second? Because I got to be honest with you. I I feel like I'm the guy who sometimes tries too hard. Maybe you don't want me to be your pastor after today. But I'm here to tell you that sometimes I'm that guy. And how do I know? Because your soul tells you, you you tried too hard on that one. Oh, am I the only one? Sometimes I'm the guy that, that is not necessarily loud, but I'm the quiet, insecure, who says, man, I wish I had more confidence. Sometimes I'm the guy who's codependent on relationships. Sometimes I'm the guy that was like, if, just, if they just like me, everything will be okay. Come on, can we be honest for a second? Come on, some of us are in this place, we're like, if this relationship works out, then I'm going to be okay. And interesting enough, though, if we would have taken a step back on that moment when she goes, you know, I want a family, and she saw the family, it would be interesting if we asked that family, because maybe that family would say, man, I wish I was single again. (laughs) How many were like, man, I wish there was not, you know, four or five kids, we can do more. (laughs) Come on, I know we're in church, but can, can we be, we can't go anywhere without being first honest about where we are, if we're going to see a breakthrough. Right? How many of us uh, kind of like going back and forth? The guy who is loud, he's, he's, he's wishing he was the quiet. The guy who's quiet wishes he was loud. <laughs> Isn't it crazy that this is the same person? Right? And if we keep going, right, the, 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 the manager is there, and, and what's the problem with him? The problem with him is he's hurt, but he's taking his hurt on the wrong person. How many of us have done that? I find myself yelling at my kids and then stopping and going, why am I yelling at my children? And they're looking at me like, Dad, why are you yelling at me? Come on, I'm telling you, if we're going to go somewhere, we've got to be honest first. We, we, we have to be honest about where we are and where we want to be. Right? And then we have the kid who is there taking this anger on. But the thing is, they're both missing each other. Because he's daydreaming, he's, he's in autopilot. How many of us are just in autopilot? It's like we've been so beat up so much that we don't even, it doesn't even register anymore. We're just kind of going and passing ships. How many people live in the same house but pass each other? Because they both have mind battles that they haven't dealt with. 
Come on, are you tracking? We need to do some troubleshooting to get to the heart of what's truly happening because some of us are loud insecure, some of us are quietly insecure. Some of us are leaning too heavily on others to fulfill the purpose in us. And some of us have mismanaged feelings that we haven't really dealt with. Some of us have daddy issues. One of the biggest issues of our society is daddy issues. We got grown men who never got healed from their daddy issues. Now try to project themselves. How do you raise kids when you yourself are still a kid? In your emotions, in your feelings. So, my friends, one of the first things we need to do here is to, first of all, pinpoint the issue, but then focus on the reality that a lot of times we are approaching this thing wrong. I want to show you how typically we approach these these mind battles, right? And if we don't stop to realize them, we will continue to hit the same walls, right? First of all, if you're taking notes, one of the first things that develops after a while is that we develop this victim mindset. The victim mindset says, woe is me. It's me against the world. You, here's my favorite one. I was a high school teacher for nine years. I used to love hearing this one. You don't understand. No one understands what I'm going through. And the punk in me wanted to be like, okay, you are the only person in the history of humanity who has had a broken heart at 15. We should study you. You ought to be a subject. Right? But, but it's easy to, to go into this woe is me, poor is me mindset. Right? I have haters. Most of us have imaginary haters. They don't really exist. Some of y'all got two Twitter followers talking about I have haters. So your mom and your uncle are hating because those are your followers. Come on, we got to be honest. That is easy to be a victim. But here's the good news. Science and scriptures are telling us you don't have to be a victim to any circumstance that has been thrown your way because you have been designed to overcome everything that comes your way. The book even tells you that you don't have to be a victim to your own biology. Because some of us were like, yeah, my parents had it, my my grandparents had it, but the blood of Jesus comes to break generational curses. You know, know, sometimes you're like, oh man, this person had a heart attack, I guess I'm going to have one. No, you don't have to have a heart attack because your parents had a heart attack. You are not a victim to any circumstance or situation or people who have come your way. The Bible says you're not a victim, you're a victor. God created you to rise above the things that you have faced or people have faced that has troubled you because we all have two enemies we have to face, circumstances and sin. One is inwardly, the other one is external. But either one doesn't have to rule over our lives. Can you say amen? Amen. Some of us, my friends, we have to be honest about the fact that we are in denial. Some people deny that anything is wrong. And you know who's worst at this? Christians. How are you doing? Oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. (laughs) Glory to God. Um, um, You know, by the grace of God, here I go. 
But, you know, the grace of God didn't come to teach you to lie. The grace of God came to empower you to live above the level of sin and mediocrity. It's okay to not be okay because when I understand that I'm not okay, maybe I'll get a breakthrough if I can be honest about not being okay. I pray we create a church where you don't have to pretend that you're okay. Because guess what? Most likely, the person you're telling is not either. Maybe we can go somewhere. Maybe that's what the Bible means by iron sharpens iron. If I can be honest, and you can be honest, and then the Spirit of God is in our midst, then maybe we can get somewhere. How you doing? Good. Hallelujah. No, no, I am. I'm really good. No, it's okay to not be okay. That's the beauty of this thing. That he's in that place. That place meaning that mess. He's there. Some of the refreshing things to hear from someone is to say, I'm struggling. And you know the most refreshing thing to hear back? Me too. Well, the most powerful thing you can hear in the dictionary is me too. Like, there's nothing more refreshing to be like, oh, I'm not alone in this thing. But sometimes we put on the front like we're, you know, and the enemy loves to isolate you to make you feel like, man, you're all alone in this thing. It's not true. Denial is not from God. Remember he told Adam, where are you? He knew where Adam was. He was trying to give him a chance. Let Adam, let's talk about this. It's not like God was like, oh my God, we lost him. <laughs> you know, when we say we found God, God wasn't lost. God found us. He comes to us. But first we have to be honest and say, here I am, Lord. Come on, talk to me. Here's another one that we need to deal with. It's the blame game. How many of us are stuck on the blame game. Here's the problem with the blame game. The blame game is, is dangerous because the blame game is, I'm stuck in a prison, but I hold the keys. And the blame game is as old as Adam and Eve. They invented the game. They're the ones that were doing this. And whatever you have cells, you, you, you blame the devil. You know how many Christians are not getting breakthrough because they talk more to the devil than they're actually talking to their heavenly father about what's really going on? Like, we're always putting it on the... the I think the devil sometimes going, I didn't even do anything. <laughs> if we're going to get a breakthrough, we need to stop blaming. Isn't it fascinating? We live in a society where you can go to McDonald's, buy yourself a hot cup of coffee, burn yourself, and then try to sue McDonald's. Because it's their fault that the coffee was hot. <laughs> and you know, wherever else fails, we can always blame Trump. <laughs> and he's a good one to go to because <laughs> the guy gives you reasons. <laughs> well, my friends, the thing with the blame is at some point this finger's got to... Yeah. At, at some point, yeah. you know, it's the government, it's the teachers... It's the neighborhood, it's the worker, it's the manager, it's the pastor, it's the church. Right. <laughs> At what point do we get to the point to say, Lord, I might be the common denominator. Because how many churches do you have to go to until you realize, I might be the common denominator in this thing. There's nothing more powerful than coming to epiphany that I might be the problem in this situation. I'm telling you, this is where breakthrough happens when I can take ownership for myself. How about this one? Some people will just conform. 
You've been so beat down by so long that you just start saying one of the most famous things that we say, it is what it is. My friends, the problem with it is what it is, it's a self-prophecy. You get what you believe. So many people are stuck because they self-prophesy themselves to be stuck. I'm telling you, we can't get a breakthrough until we recognize these things. To say, I'm the one who has conformed. The Bible says, do not conform, but be transform so we need to watch our thinking because your thinking is affecting your prophecy of your life and then some of us were stuck on self-will I'm going to do this all I need is a little tweak and I'm fine how many of you guys prayed that prayer before Lord today I'm going to be patient and it was the worst day of your life you know why it's the worst day of your life? Because God doesn't give you patience. God puts you in situations to produce patience out of you. Because patience is not, doesn't come out of your self-will. It comes out of his fruit of the spirit in you that comes out of you in situations where you actually need patience. So be careful what you pray for. But my friends, we need to go deeper. We need to go under the hood to really take an inventory and see what the problem really is. And, and this is what I love about the, the Apostle Paul and what I love about scriptures. Scriptures are very honest. There's no such thing as, as the Christianese that we use in Paul's language here. You have to understand where Paul is coming from here. I hope you understand this. Paul is trying to get us to the point of recognizing the real problem. Because a lot of times in our efforts to fix things, we're taking shortcuts. Surgery takes time, but it's better than putting Band-Aid on it. Some things, you cannot avoid surgery. And this is what Paul is talking about. We need a heart surgery that is going to affect our minds if we're really going to get a breakthrough. Right? Notice how, listen, this is very important. I hope you catch this. Notice that Paul doesn't have a lack of desire. Because he said, I, I love God's law. I want to do this. So it's not a lack of desire. Also, it's not a lack of knowledge. Because he said, I know what the problem is. Why do I say this? Because here's where most Christians get stuck. We get stuck on, I know. It's amazing how some Christians know everything. And they have a Bible verse to go with it. But then you look at their lives, you're like, where's the disconnect? Between what you know and what you're doing. My friends, it's deeper than desire. C.S. Lewis says this. He said, no man knows how bad he is until he has tried to be good. It's deeper than just a desire. Because a lot of times we think, I have the desire. It's not the thought that counts here, my friends. And it's not the knowledge neither. Because we have both. If we were to open up this floor and we talked about your struggles, you would say... I know what they are, and I don't want to be there. Come on. Right? Unless you're not living, you know what the problem is. You have the desire, but you feel stuck. And this is what Paul is trying to show us, my friend. This is deeper than Christianese. A lot of us, we need to break through because we think we already know. This is the Michael Jordan of Christianity telling you now it's not about knowing. You know what he says about knowledge? He says, actually, knowledge puffs up. What we need is deeper than desire and knowledge, he says. 
This is the sobering truth, my friends. This is a gut-wrenching stop to consider what's really happening in my soul. What's really happening to me? Why do I keep fighting myself like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? This is an honest, this is not Paul feeling bad for himself. This is Paul being honest and saying, I need to get to the bottom of the issue if I'm going to get a breakthrough. This is the sovereign truth that we all have to face, my friends. What he's trying to get to is this. I am miserable when I'm trying to do this in my own strength, in my own will, in my own power, and in my own religion. Because Paul didn't lack religion. Paul was a Pharisee by trade. He was one of the brightest men of his time. And you know what he said? He said, you know, when I look at the law, you know what tripped me up? He said, you know, what tripped me up was, was, was coveting. Why does coveting trip up Paul? Because, because Pharisees control the external things. But coveting comes from the heart. Oh, my God, that's such a good word. You don't understand what I'm trying to get at. A lot of times we think sin is what you do on the outward. But he's saying, oh, I see a trouble with me on the inward myself. I have a struggle that's within me because it's easy for me to be like, how come you struggle with that? How come you struggle with that? Because I see your external, outside fruits of your sin. But it's hard to see me in my coveting, in my inner being, that I am struggling with myself. Coveting is the last commandment in the Ten Commandments. Basically, what the, what the rabbis say is this. Coveting is, is basically what you wouldn't do if you were satisfied with your life. Paul is saying, listen, no, I found myself at this place where I realized, wow, what a miserable place to be. When it's my strength and my religion and my way. So it's not desire. It's not knowledge, so what is it? He tells you what it is. He says, I lack the power to overcome. He frames it in a question. It's a powerful question. He says, who will deliver me? That's a powerful question. He didn't say, who will help me? He said, who will deliver me? Because he realized this is going to take deliverance. I need to tell you something here, very, very important, that we live in a time where we like to synchronize things. We like syncretism. In other words, we, t- we try to take a little bit of everything to try to make a nice life. And so what we do is we think, all I need is a little tweak. If I just do a, list, a little bit this better, this, if I do this better, that, and I do this better, then Paul is saying, oh, you can do all of that and still be miserable. What you need is deliverance. Deliverance does not come from a little tweak. Deliverance comes from someone who has the power to come and deliver you. My friends, we don't need a motivational speaker. We need deliverance. Listen, this is above Tony Robbins' pay grade. This is above Oprah's pay grade. I'm telling you, this is above Stephen Furtick's pay grade. This is Jesus' level that we need. We need deliverance from a Savior who can actually say something about that power that you feel you cannot overcome. I'm telling you, this is soul deliverance. Listen to me, my friends, who will deliver me? He's saying deliverance is what I need, not a motivational speaker, not a tweak, not a better version of me. I need a new me. He says, the answer is Jesus. And when I say that, the Christian in us says, I know. But I don't think we do. 
Because what he's trying to say here is, no, listen, you have to understand, this thing is so powerful, it needs someone who has the power over it. Understand what he's getting at. He's saying Jesus is the answer. Why? Because only Jesus has the power over sin. You know what's fascinating? Go read the gospel. So many people were confused about what Jesus was, but you know who was never confused about Jesus? The demons. Every time Jesus comes face to face with a demon, they say, we know who you are, and you know what you came to do. Why don't you leave us alone? Because they know he's the only one who has the power to speak and deliver. Pharisees were confused. Romans were confused. The demons were like, we know exactly who that is. He's the one that has the power to deliver. Deliverance, my friends, is what we need. That's why I told you the prerequisite to breakthrough is desperation. Can you hear the desperation in his, in his heart? Wretched man that I am. Who would save me? But this is not him feeling bad for himself. This is coming to that reality that, wow, this is, this is deeper than just knowing scriptures. This is deeper than being a Pharisee. I need soul deliverance. I told you we live in the age of Amazon. What do you do? You, 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 you go on Amazon, you pick what you want, and they deliver right to your door. But there's no deliverance without going and asking for it. I don't wish my way to things to get to my door. My wife does Amazon all the time. Every, I feel like every time I come home, there's a box at the door. She's an expert of, of deliverance when it comes to Amazon. She's not here, so I can talk about her. I might need deliverance later. Um, but understand, my friends, that when you go to the ATM and you do the boop, 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 you ever see people that boop, they're like, ah. And they're always surprised. And then they put on a scene because you're behind them. They look, they look stupid, right? But it's funny, it's like, I don't care how many times you hit that button. If you didn't deposit anything, you cannot withdraw anything. And then what do we do? They start talking to the machine. They start blaming the machine. They in denial that there's nothing in there. They start pointing fingers. Bank of America, always doing this to me. (laughs) You're not laughing because that's you. can't get what you didn't deposit. What he's saying is I need deliverance. I need someone who has deposited something that is greater than the sin in me. I need someone who has power over this depression that I can't seem to shake. I need someone who has power over the suicidal thoughts that I can't seem to shake. I need power over someone has broken my heart and I feel like I'm codependent. I need someone who is greater than that codependency to come over my life and to break me free from this chains of addictions and abuse and struggles and patterns and behavior. I need Jesus in my life. I need deliverance, my friends. That's what we need. I'm telling you, I struggle with this as a pastor. We don't need another cute religious service. We need deliverance. Deliverance doesn't happen overnight. 
It happens over time. You don't get deliverance from sexual abuse like this. But you can get the breakthrough to get you on your way to be fully healed from what you've experienced. My friends, I believe this can change the game for us. If we understand that it's deliverance that I need. It's someone outside of me who actually has the say over these things. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. He says, now I'll give you the same authority to live your life. Paul says this. This is so powerful, right? He says, through Jesus, now I have power and victory. That's what we want. We want the power that's greater than the other power. And victory to not live in defeat. Because the point, my friends, of Christianity, it's not, you know, I'm going to hold on until I go to heaven. There's nothing about that in the Bible. Everything that Jesus teaches is about bringing heaven to earth. It's about the now, in this moment. I can live life above the level of sin and mediocrity. I can have heaven on earth. Even when things don't seem to line up, I can still have that power inside of me, the resurrected life to live above the level of sin and mediocrity. And I don't have to wait. A lot of Christians are living like they are in hell waiting for heaven. With the power available to us. Paul says this, right? And I love the way he puts it. Look, he says, here's how this works. Here's how this works. Thank God for Jesus. Now, here's how it actually works. Practically speaking, in the book of Galatians, chapter 2.20, look what he says. He says, here's how you are going to live this life. Here's how you can overcome. Here's how you don't have to have your mind keep playing tricks on you and you keep responding to it. Look, here's how you do it. He says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My friends, you would get excited if you didn't know this verse already. Because you have had knowledge, sometimes it's keeping you from soul breakthrough. Paul is not giving you a cute Facebook post. Paul is giving you the answer to your mind battles that are happening inside of you. Paul is saying, now, listen, because I know this thing is so, so powerful, and, and, and I've tried religion, and I tried self-will, and I tried all that, and it didn't work, I, I, I understood that what Jesus did on that cross was actually deeper than just a physical manifestation of him trying to forgive my sins. No, this is a physical and a spiritual deposit in me where I'm be able to say, now, I can go and withdraw from that and say, Lord, I know I'm powerless, but your power now is manifested in my life that I may live the life. You created me to live. Even that, my friends, is a problem in the church. We say Jesus died for our sins, like, loosely. It's a heavy thing that he did. What he was doing, he was transferring his power over to us. He was saying, this is a sacrifice on your behalf so that you don't have to keep sacrificing yourself to your old self. Because now my power is manifested in you. You can go to the bank and boop, 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 and power will come out because I've deposited something on your behalf for you to withdraw from. That's why I love the song. The song says, I'm not enough. 
unless you come and deposit your power over me. And now at the name of Jesus, every demon in hell has to flee because the power of God is in my life. This will change the game if we get a revelation, not a head knowledge. Now understand how the science and the scripture comes together in this is so powerful. It's so, it's so cool that the reality is this. There is a death and resurrection happening all the time. And it's all around you and in you. For example, today, how many of you guys ate something this morning? You ate whatever you ate. Just some of y'all, most of y'all didn't eat anything? <laughs> Understand this. This is, this is so powerful. Science is teaching us what this has been teaching us all along. For you to eat something today, whatever you ate, Something died to sustain you. You had eggs? Anyone had eggs? Guess what? Something had to die for you to have eggs that will come and sustain your body now to live another day. Did you have cereal today? A seed had to go to the ground and die for it in order to produce something to come and sustain your life. See, there's a death and resurrection happening all around you every single day. And better yet, better yet, no, no, this gets better. It's happening inside of you. Did you know this? Every single day of your life, there are dead cells dying in your brain so that new baby cells can be resurrected so you can have a brand new day each and every day of your life. Death and resurrection happens all the time. The question is, are you paying attention? If you can pay attention to that, then you can access the science and the scripture to go together that each and every day you can say, oh, Lamentations 3.23 says your mercies are new every day. That means my body has been renewed each and every day to live the resurrected life that Jesus has for me. Now, here's the key, my friends. The key is, listen, it dies and he rises again. But the question is, my brain cannot know the difference between what I feed him or don't feed him. So the key is, I have resurrection life every day, but am I living it? Because I have to tell my brain, we are new. Go read the science. They say your brain is moldable, depending on what you're feeding your mind. She works with people who've had strokes and, 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 diabe- and diabetes and all kinds of diseases. It says, listen, the more they can feed their brain this resurrected reality that each and every day I'm renewed, the more they get in healed. Doctors are saying this, people with faith have a better chance to get healed. Why? Because they're telling their minds, we can be healed in Jesus' name. Can you imagine waking up every day and speaking that resurrected life over your little cells? Because here's the thing. You got to catch this. Baby cells don't know any better. (laughs) You can't expect baby cells to make the right decisions. That's like you at home leaving your house with your two-year-old and say, you running things. (laughs) Your job as a parent is to mold and shape your babies to grow up to be the man and woman of God that they're created to be. So that means every day I need to take ownership of my brain to feed it the right things so that they can live the resurrected life. Because your brain is like, hey, we resurrected. What should we do? Oh, man, this will change the game. Can you imagine get up in the morning and you're resurrected and the old cells are trying to come back in, but your new cells are like, no, 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 addiction doesn't have rule in this place anymore. We are now new in Jesus. 
Yes, I was sexually abused, and that was the past, but now I'm being renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit in me. Yes, my daddy left me, and that's okay. I have a new daddy now, and he's going to take care of me, and he's going to help me, and he's going to heal me. Yes, I was backstabbed, but so was he. And he told him, friend, why do you betray me with a kiss? I will continue to renew my mind. The resurrected life is in me, in this place, right now. My God, can you imagine, imagine over time, don't you know they say that, that after a while, there's groove patterns being developed in your mind of what you decided to feed it with. Death and resurrection happens every day. You don't have to wait to die to go to heaven. You can have heaven every day. As you continue to resurrect your mind to the reality that, hey, we've been crucified to our past. That stuff no longer rules over us. We have a new sheriff in town. His name is Jesus, and he rules over our lives. So, so, I, so today, I just wanted to whet your appetite about this series. I'm telling you, it's going to be good. Can you already feel the breakthrough in the air? So, my friends, let me end by summarizing this. First of all, I need to recognize that the dilemma is the sinful nature in me. And, it, and it's interesting. Sin takes on your personality. If you're loud, you're sinfully loud. If you're quiet, you're sinfully quiet. If you're always looking for relationships, your sin will attach to that. And tell you, yeah, you just need this. How many know you don't need one more thing or one more person? That the, 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 here's the struggle. The struggle is sin will tell you that's what you need. But your soul tells you, no, no. If you don't get healed, you will continue to think that's what you need. I'm happily married. I've been married for 13 years. But there are places in my soul that my wife can't touch. She just can't. She doesn't have it. I'm, see, some of us are putting too much demand on another human being. That's why we're miserable. Can you imagine that human being needs to be saved, you need to be saved, and now you're trying to bring salvation out of each other? I love my kids. I have five of them. It feels like ten. I love them. I really do. One of my favorite things is to just listen to them play on their own. I love that. I love seeing them develop. But you know what? All the joy they bring to my life, there are places in my soul they can't touch. I love being a pastor. I love what you got to do. I love this church. I love everything that's happening here. But the reality is, ministry is not my identity. We have to be careful not to take a shortcut. Because when your soul is in the right place, then your marriage will be in the right place. Your kids will be in the right place. Ministry will fall into place. Anytime I find myself grinding in the wrong way, I know my soul is out of whack. I'm, I'm, I'm expecting these things to bring what only the one who created the soul can bring. I'm not enough unless you come. So I have to recognize that first of all, my friends. The second thing is I have to refuse shallow solutions because we already know it doesn't work. We know sex doesn't fulfill the soul we know that already but we think this one will do it we already know my friends the problem is we live in a in a in a day and age where everything is at our disposal 
because it's at disposal, we're quick to go to quick fixes. That's why people are getting married and still don't have intimacy because they took over and over again the shortcut of pornography. Not realizing that you can't be intimate with something on a TV screen. So you have to understand what sin does. Sin says, hey, you're a fiend. You need something. And we think only the drug addict needs something. What about the relationship addict? What about the money addict? What about the the prideful addict that always need you to to speak highly of them? We're all addicted to something, my friends. We need to recognize and say, enough with the shallow solutions. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. And then I come to the place of yielding my life. I come to the place of saying, I just need to die to this stuff. Because resurrected life is happening every day. I just need to become aware that I already have this available to me. He loves me. He loves you. He loves you so, so much. If he didn't, he wouldn't have done that. He wants you to see this often to remember, look, I love you. You don't have to live in your sin. You can live the resurrected life. You can be crucified and rise again. And if you take my tools every day, you can, you can take it and transform this thing and begin to see the fullness. Because here's the thing. He's not waiting for you to go to heaven. He wants to bring heaven to you. That's the view. Listen, 99% of Jesus' teaching was about bringing heaven to earth. And here we are waiting to go to heaven. I have to do a teaching on heaven and hell soon because it's all done wrong. Do you know this? People send more people to hell than God does. I'm telling you. See, even that messed you up. Uh, uh, what? Because we, we've, we read it through religious eyes. We didn't read it to a resurrection life which says, I came to save those who are lost. I came for everyone who was lost. I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. God. The reality of hell is that's available to you and you choose to live outside of it. That's what reality of hell is. Some people don't have to go to a place. They are in that place. If we don't let him come into the reality of your mind and heart and soul, it's already a living hell. Are you, are you tracking with me? Stand with me. We're going to pray this morning. Listen, Paul, he's so good. He analyzes the problem. He troubleshoots it. And then he says this. Look, in Romans 8, watch this. Paul says, he goes on after the, the, this, this amazing troubleshooting. He says this in Romans 8. I love this. Watch this. He says, look, with the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, the faithful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous, lowing, lying, black cloud. A new power is in operation. A new sheriff is in town. The life of the, the spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a fated life of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. There's power available now 
You don't have to cower your way through life. You don't have to justify your way through life. You don't have to blame yourself to life. You don't have to be in denial. You don't have to try it on your own strength. There's a new power available to you. You can go and deposit because he's already given you the deposit. You can withdraw because the deposit is already there for you today in this place, in this moment, not sometime down the line, in this moment. Thanks for joining us today. If you want to connect with us, you can find us at newlifesouthcoast.com for any further information.